On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks get into the win column with a pretty dominant performance up in Milwaukee. Break it down from every angle and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1577 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday here in late October. And today's show is brought to you by PrizePix, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepix.com slash NBA. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. And also, I should tell you to stop the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple, and Spotify, as well as YouTube on the video side. And today's show will break down what became a 127 to 110 road win for the Hawks in Milwaukee. A very, very impressive performance after an 0 2 start from the Hawks. They really played a fantastic game tonight in Milwaukee. They're up by as many as 31 points in the second half of this one. And honestly, the game was not as close as the final 17 point margin would indicate. It was a lot of garbage time in the last couple of minutes, but it was a comfortable, like 25 ish point win for the Hawks in, in the actual game flow of this one. A couple of big runs in the first half. And that's sort of a big lead that they never relinquished. It was pretty comfortable the entire second half, honestly. It was really balanced, a strong effort overall on both ends of the floor. Basically, everyone played well in this game. And they did it also in the toughest spot of the season so far on paper for the Hawks. They were six-point underdogs in this game, according to our friends at FanDuel. On the road against a title-containing team, the Hawks just played very well in this one. So obviously, we'll talk about a lot of specifics later on. If you're a first-time listener, welcome aboard. What we do on this podcast, kind of go big picture, then we'll drill down to sort of what transpired in this game, game flow-wise, observations that I would have, and also player-by-player breakdowns at the end of the show. But I want to start with the defense, actually, in this game. The Hawks were particularly good defensively in the first half on that end of the floor, as we'll talk about even more in a second. But this is a Hawks team, as as I've discussed many times, that is built to be offense first. That's still the case. But there is a certain level that you have to reach defensively to be a, a real legitimate you know, high-end team in the NBA. And in this game, we saw the Hawks play very well defensively. They have a 108 offensive rating allowed to the Bucs. That doesn't even tell the whole, the whole story, actually. I think the Bucs actually shot the heck out of the ball in the second half. In fact, Milwaukee shot 13 of 22 from three after halftime to kind of save things. And again, at the end, there was some garbage time in there. But the Hawks forced 23 turnovers and allowed only 22 assists. If you have more turnovers than assists, you are not playing good offense. And that's where Milwaukee was in this game. Also, the Hawks allowed 20 free throw attempts. They were good around the rim, not fouling against the Bucs. They held the Bucs to 44 points in the paint. That's a very bad number. Only seven fast break points. The numbers were really, really good. And honestly, uh, again, until garbage time, it was even better. And yes, they like the numbers are like, I guess the full game numbers are not completely dominant. But if you watch this one or followed throughout the game, it really was. And yes, Milwaukee was without Chris Middleton in this game, their third best player. That is at least worth acknowledging. But this is a team in Milwaukee now after the Drew Holiday, Damian Lillard trade, some other stuff they've done. They are much more of an offense-first team now than they were previously. With the way they built their team, even supporting guys, they're much more offensive than defensive. And the Hawks played very well defensively in this game. Obviously, we'll talk about more of the Damian Lillard saga. He was really struggling in this one. Shouts to the entire Hawks defense for that, including, I would say, headlined by DeJounte Murray. But a really impressive defensive effort from the Hawks. And if they could find that more consistently, that would be big. Um, offensively, they were also very good in this one, as you might imagine, for a game that they were up by 31 points in the second half. They scored about 1.3 points per possession in the non-garbage time minutes of this one. Ended up, ended up with about a 125 offensive rating for the full game. That is an excellent number against anyone, anywhere. 
And then you throw in, this is a road game against a good team. And yes, Milwaukee's defense is not quite the same as it used to be without Drew and some of the perimeter stuff, but still the Hawks played really lights out on offense. The top eight guys, and really the only eight guys that played rotation minutes in this one, all had at least 12 points in the game. No one had more than 20 points. So those it does not really get any more balanced than the Hawks were in this game. In fact, Trey Young was the only guy on the team that shot less than 44% from the floor out of those eight players. And he also had 11 assists and got to the line nine times and was really, really good, I thought, after about the first five minutes. So uh, everyone basically played well for the, for the Hawks in this game. And as a team, they were 51% from the floor, 15 of 37 from three. That is the most intense they've had so far and the most mixed they've had so far. 82% from the line in this game. They were 20 of 24 at the rim. That's an excellent figure, both attempts and especially accuracy. They had 25 fast break points. And part of that was all the, all the turnovers that they, they, they created defensively against Milwaukee in this game. But they also executed well in transition to score on those chances. They had 32 assists. They grabbed almost 40% of available offensive rebounds. So in the end, the Hawks had eight more shooting possessions than the Bucks. So if you don't know what that means, basically is that, you know, it, inherently you want to take more shots from the field and from the free throw line than your opponent, because even if you don't shoot quite as well, the gap is bridged if you take more shots because that means you had either or both of a turnover advantage or at a rebounding advantage. And the Hawks actually had both in this game. So just playing the math game and then the Hawks, you know, obviously shot well in this game, but it helps generally speaking, the possession battle gets undervalued in my opinion. It's a, you know, a lot of focus on shot and shot making. And certainly that makes sense. But one of my philosophies is like check and see who takes more shots in the game. And the Hawks took eight more shooting possessions. That includes free throws um, than the Bucks, and that's, a, that's not it's not a small thing. That's that's actually a lot of uh, win probability added to your particular side of things. Before we move on to the actual game flow, there was a lineup change in this game, which I know got a lot of attention. I did not want to leave with that because this is an awesome performance from the Hawks. Uh, this is more of a pregame thing, but uh, a lot of questions about this. So I'll go ahead and answer some of those now. Um, obviously, Jalen Johnson, if you watched this game or followed it with any uh, any any closeness, ended up starting in place of Sadiq Bey, who started the first two games for the Hawks. I was not surprised at all by this. I did predict this summer, and I think you know correctly, that Bay would be the starter on opening night. But even then, I was acknowledging I was never sure about that. And I continue to think the entire the entire time that the four spot, basically, you know, Jalen versus Sadiq in a lot of ways, which some of the Quinn Snyder's not really talked about a lot, uh, kind of, you know, he doesn't, like, he doesn't like that framing, but that spot was really the only one that is up for grabs right now for the Hawks. I know people don't necessarily love DeAndre Hunter starting or Clint Capella starting or both, but really it's just come down to that one spot in realistic terms from what, I, from what I've heard, what I can glean. But if you're a new listener, I'll just say I don't really care as much as other people do about starting lineups. And Jalen did play 29 minutes and 30 minutes in the first two games. But there is obviously there's some questions about the offense and the lack of spacing with Jalen, I would say in between Hunter and Murray and Capella because of his, you know, not great shooting, but he actually is shooting the ball better and more often now, but he obviously gives them a lot more playmaking on, on that unit. Also a lot more defense and range and athleticism and all that stuff. And look, it could have been somewhat matchup based. Um, it may not, it may not be, I will acknowledge that the Bucks are maybe uh, the matchup as we saw actually in this game, the Hawks ended up playing a Kongwu and Capella together at one point, the Bucks are a matchup where it did not, make a lot of sense to have Sadiq Bey out there and Clay Capella out there and DeAndre Hunter out there because there's not really anybody to guard Giannis that, that you would want. I think the two best defenders on Giannis on this on this roster are Jalen and Onyeka. So starting neither of them in this game, not great. Um, and look, it could be an overall change as well. I will acknowledge that. You know, as you might imagine, Quinn was asked a little bit about lineup stuff after the game. He committed to nothing, as he is wont to do. 
Um, he pivoted to saying that it's been good for everybody else to find out that you could play Sadiq and Jalen together. He talked about playing a Congo at the four and how AJ got in there in the second half. But he also praised his team for being coachable and willing to adapt to adjustments about starting or finishing games, which is, I think was not really a subtle thing. But he did say, and the quote I'm quoting here now from Quinn, tonight was a matchup when we started JJ. We can do that, end quote. So they can. I don't know if they will. I would guess. This is a guess now. We're just minutes after the game is over. They do play on Monday. I would guess they're going to stay with this. Um, would I be absolutely bowled over if they started Sadiq again in the near future? No. But I think um, after, after the way this game went and how Jalen is playing, I would guess that they stay with it. But we'll see. Um, and obviously, Jalen, big picture, look, Sadiq Bay is a valuable player. I'm going to be clear about that. He's a really good shooter. Um, I think he's, he's clearly a top seven guy on this team, top seven or eight guy on this team, and for a lot of teams. I think he can start for a lot of teams, et cetera. But Jalen is just more dynamic than he is. That's very clear. And a much bigger organizational priority for Jay, for the Hawks. Jalen's upside is way above Sadiq. So that's not really breaking news or anything negative, negative about Sadiq. But all that said, Jalen gets a, better, a different look. He's really impressed. Obviously, um, not only in front of the camera when it comes to the games, but I've heard great things from practices about Jalen and how he's looked all summer long. Obviously, the buzz is really, really aggressive there. I'm trying not to dump on that because, look, I've always been very high on Jalen Johnson. I know Hawks fans, at least some of them, think that I'm too low on him, and that's fine. But I was a guy that was really celebrating that draft pick when it happened, and I've always been like preaching patience more so than panic when he wasn't playing. And the talent there and the upside there, yes, it was an upside pick and it was a little bit risky because he had kind of a weird year at Duke. But the talent there is, was always like crazy to fall to 20 overall in the draft. And we're seeing that now. So get excited about that. I'm totally fine with that. But anyway, big picture. I think it, was, it matters less to me than others about the starting lineup, but I do understand there was celebration there. I got a lot of responses when I tweeted up the line. I think I was the first one to break the lineup tonight. And uh, yeah, it obviously worked out very well. So in the end, I expect, or at least I would, I would project, them to stay with that. But uh, until we see it again, we won't know for sure. And uh, hold your breath on that if you are a Hawks fan that wants Jalen Johnson to start and play and play a lot. And he did in this game despite foul trouble. So all that said, we'll have much more on this game coming up in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks, and Prize Picks is a skill-based, real money daily fantasy sports game. And at Prize Picks, you pick two to six players and then choose whether they actually have more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You go up to 25 times the money on your entries, and at Prize Picks, you're not competing against other people. It's just you against the numbers. An entry there at Prize Picks can be made in just a minute or less. That makes life easy and quick. And Prize Picks also offers improved deposit and withdrawal experiences, including the option to use Apple Pay for quick deposits. Prize Picks also offers discounts and bonuses, other exciting stuff, including like Taco Tuesday and Flex Friday bonuses and promos. They have a huge selection of sports and stat types not offered anywhere else. They have NFL stuff, NBA stuff, MLB, NHL, PGA, and many, many more sporting offerings. They're operational in more than 30 states now, plus Canada. And Prospects is the best way to have action in more than 70% of the country. I've really enjoyed checking out Prospects for a long time. I'm digging it all the time there during the NFL season, of course, but now the NBA is going on. And it's really a fun place to dive into that sport as well. And on the whole, the experience is fantastic. I really, uh, it's easy, it's fun. I highly recommend it. You should check it out for sure. And prospects.com slash locked on NBA is the place to do so. Use locked on NBA as a promo code as well for a first deposit match up to $100 with prize picks. One more time, that is prospects.com slash locked on NBA. Use promo code locked on NBA. Check out daily fantasy sports made easy with prize picks. 
All right, we'll dive in now to the game flow and the observations throughout this game. The Hawks actually started this game very well, as you might as you might imagine, given the final score. A 12-3 run out of the gate. They had Giannis uh, being covered by Jalen Johnson, as you might expect, considering that he started in this game. DeJounte Murray had Damian Lillard's assignment. Um, I thought DeAndre Hunter was really aggressive out of the gate. He took a pull-up three in transition that you don't often see from him. Probably some Quint, some, some Quint Snyder influence there. In fact, the Hawks took five threes in about three and a half minutes, had three steals as well, setting a strong tone. Milwaukee missed eight of their first nine shots, and it was all very strong. Uh, I will say, as I will probably get into later on, I thought Clint Capella was very good in this game, but he had, a, he had a rough start. He missed a dunk, which was his third missed dunk or bunny in the last like five minutes of play, and had a really bad hook shot. Um, even as someone who often defends Clint Capella, he should take less hook shots, <laughs> especially over a center like Brooke Lopez. That was a bad shot. Um, but he uh, he settled in once. Once from that point forward, basically, he blocked the shot by, by Pat Connaughton, a couple nice finishes around the rim. And I thought, again, he played very well for the lion's share of this game. Rotationally, one kind of minor surprise. Obviously, Jalen Starty was not a huge surprise. We talked about that already on the podcast. And Bay was kind of slotted into his role. Um, but they had to change things up a little bit because um, Hunter got a second foul very quickly. Jalen came back faster than he would have. But the big change beyond the starting lineup was that A.J. Griffin was basically out of the rotation in this game. Now, he played some... What I, what I would describe as rotation minutes in the third quarter after Jalen Johnson got his fourth foul, had to sit out for a long time. But AJ didn't play for the first two and a half quarters. And it wasn't like they played somebody over him. Quinn just kind of played a playoff rotation for the most part. Like most of the time, outside of like Nick Nurse or maybe if a team has injuries, you don't often see, I, I won't say you never see, but you don't, you don't often see an NBA team, especially this early in the season, playing eight guys. And the Hawks played eight guys in the first two and a half quarters. And when they finally went to the ninth guy, AJ, they were up 20 plus. Now, now the game wasn't over, but certainly they were uh, very rigid with the rotation in this game, which I don't, I don't mind it, but it's a back-to-back. -back. You would almost think that it would be the opposite going into a back-to-back -back on, on, on Monday because, you know, that's usually what happens. But, uh, you know, AJ's, as I talked about on the show on Friday night, he's been very clear with the ninth man. He played basically two short stints on Friday. But uh, yeah, they, they just trimmed him out of the rotation tonight. So we'll see. Uh, Quinn was positive about him after the game, but uh, he played not very much in this one. Anyway, Hawks were up by 15 points by, by the middle of, of the of the first quarter, and that was the largest of the season to that point. And obviously, it, keep, it kept going from there. But Milwaukee was four of 18 from the floor. Um, the couple of, uh, you know, it's kind of nitpicking a little bit, but the Hawks passed on some open looks. I thought in the first half, I thought in particular guys that can't pass on shots like Bogey and Bay passed on a few. There was one that Bogey was wide open, by the way, and the Hawks just missed him one pass away. He, I mean, nobody in the picture. It should be an easy extra pass. They just missed it, that kind of thing. Um, Quinn challenged in the first quarter, a block by Jalen Johnson. It was a great play by him, by the way. Um, he did win the challenge. It was kind of a weird one because in the past, I would have probably criticized that challenge for being way too low leverage because they won the challenge, but Milwaukee got the ball. So it was like, you know, how, how impactful is this? But with the new rules, I'm still trying to figure this out, and a lot of people are like, what is the best optimal challenge protocol because they get the if you win it now if you miss this uh if you win the challenge now you actually get it back so that's something to say and now they wanted a little, they won this one so just something to note um i talked about this a little bit on the preview that i wrote on patreon at patreon.com slash bt rolling but the bucks don't really have anyone to defend trey young now the drew young sorry the drew uh holiday is not there they have marjon beauchamp um guarding trey some in this game and in the first half um i actually said on on twitter that um trey basically had him in hell because Bochamp fouled Trey three times in about a minute and a half in the first half. And if you look at the roster, this is obviously not a Bucks podcast, but um, might be a you know a factor in the future. They don't really have anyone that you would say is a good defender against a high-level guard like Trey. 
you know, Dame Lillard, not a great defender. Campaign, the back of point guard, not a great defender. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Chris Middleton is fine, but he's not with someone who's going to chase around guards. He wasn't available in this game. Bochamps, maybe their best option on paper, but that's not a great option. Pat Connaughton, et cetera. So uh, something to circle because Milwaukee, you know, Trey wasn't great early on, but when, once he settled in, he was really, really in control of this game and, and the Bucs had no answers for Trey. Um, from there, uh, they actually start the second quarter with Okongwu and Capella playing together. And I made this observation on Twitter. I've said it before. I believe that is the first time the Hawks have ever, and I mean ever, this is year four, used them together in a non-specialized situation. So like they've played together in like a defense only trip in the fourth quarter or at the end of a quarter or on a free throw rebound to get to get to have uh, sides on the floor. But like they just played a stint together in this game. Now, as I referenced earlier about Jalen, the Bucks are a unique matchup. So maybe that's why they did this. And maybe that's why they were free to do it because, you know, I've always said a Congo does a great job on Giannis, for instance, and the Bucks play two bigs a lot of the time, uh, even when they're playing, you know, Giannis and Portis, they're pretty big. Um, so that makes some sense, but we, we saw it after all this time, all that talk, we saw it in this game uh, briefly, not, not, not a ton, but it was out there. Uh, there was one run by Milwaukee in the entire game. It was an 18 to five run in the second quarter to go from 15 down to the lead was down to two. And I believe got to one at one point in the second quarter. And the Hawks missed eight shot, eight shots in a row that kind of allowed that to happen. But unfortunately there was a 14 0 response from the Hawks mid quarter to go by 15 points. Jalen had a great attack and finish through contact before timeout. Couple steals from the Hawks. Bogey hit a three, and then uh, Trey was actually on the bench for that one. But it was filled by defense. I thought Murray um, was a huge story defensively in this game. Uh, Trey, as I mentioned before, had a really had a really rough start uh, start to this game as a shooter. He actually started at one of seven. At that point, he was nine of forty two from the season from the floor. That's just crazy. But he made a three late in the, late in the first half, and I thought again played very well after the first you know stint or two in the first quarter. The Hawks were up by twenty one at the half. They had a thirty five fifteen run to end the half. And really, that was the best half of the season by far. You know, the second half wasn't as good um, on, on the whole. It was still pretty good. But in the first half, to beat the Bucks by 21 with all the starters playing other than Middleton, like that's pretty impressive. They had a great off- offensive numbers. They had really, really good balance, 17 assists. Um, the Bucks were 3 of 22 from three, which certainly helped a little bit on that front. But nine assists, nine turnovers. Um, I, I thought, and I said this on Twitter, I thought it was probably the best defensive half I have seen from DeJounte Murray wearing a Hawks uniform. I was critical of DeJounte's defense for large portions of last season. And look, he doesn't get all of the credit for Damian Lillard going scoreless in the first half. And he did with six turnovers, by the way, but he gets a lot of it. Like Murray was really good in this game. Um, You know, after the game, Quinn credited him and Capella in particular for that. Um, But look, DeJounte played really well defensively. And I have to tip my cap to him on that. They did a decent job on Giannis as well. I thought Hunter and Bayer were pretty good defensively and just great stuff. Now, I know Hawks fans, at least longtime Hawks fans, were probably dreading the start of the third quarter because the Hawks had a really rough start to the third. Uh, 0 of 2 from the floor and three turnovers on their first five possessions. And then a fourth foul on Jalen Johnson, and the lead was down to 17 with Milwaukee having the ball. And from there, it got better, fortunately, for Atlanta. A personal 7-0 run, actually, from from DeAndre Hunter, who had his best stretch of the game offensively in that stretch. Um, AJ came in, as, as noted before. Um, Dame finally scored, but the Hawks did a pretty good job of just being in attack mode. As soon as Brooke Lopez came off the floor, the Hawks attacked the rim. Now, I, I, I'm always talking about how the Hawks should shoot more threes. They did in this game, and they really weren't in that stretch, but because Lopez is off the floor, it was kind of – I won't say it was a layup line, but they were able to get to the rim, and that's totally fine. You know, Quinn gets kind of put in a box about, like, more threes, more threes, more threes. And he wants that, but he always says they also want rim attempts. And they got those in that stretch. Crazy stat here, by the way. So the top seven guys for the Hawks in minutes had double figures with three minutes left in the third quarter. Then Okongwu got it by the end of the third quarter. Uh, 
The Hawks only had eight guys score double figures in a full game twice all year last year. And tonight they did it, they did it in the first three quarters. How about this one from Elias Sports via Hawks PR? The Hawks have only had this happen twice, including tonight. This is the second time ever in the play-by-play era of the NBA that the Hawks had eight guys score double figures by the end of the third quarter. The other time was in 2004, and I was graduating from high school. So I'm a pretty old man. That's a long time ago. And uh, it's pretty rare that you have eight guys go double figures in the first three quarters of a game. I guess a good team, no less. Um, but basically, they played even in the third quarter. That's all they had to do because they were already up by 20-something points. They scored 101 points on 76 possessions for three quarters. That is excellent stuff. By the way, the Hawks have now scored 100 points or more in 60 straight games. That's a franchise record that keeps growing every time. So keep that in mind for the future. Uh, the Bucks made more shots in the second half, but that was not really going to be enough. And then from there, the fourth quarter was not fully garbage time, but the last like seven minutes were. So it got a little bit dicey one more time. It got, it got, it got down to 17. They actually had a shot in the air to go to 14. It didn't go in. And then Bogey had a dunk, and the Bogey, had, Bogey shot this no-dip three that I, that I tweeted about. And I, I know the Hawks' uh, Bally account shared it. It was beautiful. If you don't know what that means, basically Bogey caught the ball and shot it in basically one motion without going down, and it was just a thing of beauty. And Bogey is dynamic when he's when he's dialed in. And then Trey hit back-to-back threes to kind of end the game, going by 26 points. I thought Milwaukee's going to pull the plug there. They actually didn't, but it was it ended up being an 11-0 run by the Hawks to go by 31 points, and that was going to be the end of that. Giannis came out, et cetera, et cetera. I was confused by one thing, and that's that Bogey played like way more in the fourth than he probably should have on a back-to-back. I don't know if he's going to take off tomorrow or what's going to happen, but that was a little bit strange to me. But they were at least they were able to rest Capella because back-to-backs, like the guys that I would always circle on those are Capella and Bogey for just minutes and, you know, age reasons and wear and tear reasons. But um, they were able to kind of go pretty deep into the bench. Uh, NBA debuts for Kobe Bufkin and Muhammad Gay. So congratulations to those guys getting, getting on the floor for the first time. But uh, it was heavy bench stuff down the stretch and uh, not a whole lot to add there. But, you know, big picture again, before we dive into the player stuff in a second, uh, just an awesome performance from the Hawks. Like everyone played well. They were in control the entire way. And there are a couple of like, you know, questionable moments when it got a little bit tighter. The Hawks immediately, to their credit, stomped that out. And that was kind of the end of that. And uh, no real runs from Milwaukee outside of the first, uh, that one in the first half. And, you know, hat tips all around. Everyone was, you know, great vibes after the game, et cetera. So we'll leave it there for now, touching the players in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Snap into the action this NFL or NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And if you're a new customer, you get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Beyond the awesome perks of signing up right now with FanDuel, they have all the stuff you're looking for across the sports betting space. That includes point spreads, over-unders, money lines, player props, future bets, and much more. The app is safe and secure. They cover the entire range of sporting offerings. That includes the NFL, college football, of course, NBA, MLB, college basketball, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing, boxing, MMA, much more. It's all there for you at FanDuel. They have all kinds of Hawk stuff as well, including the full scope of offerings for the game on Monday against the Wolves that we'll cover in depth tomorrow. And now is this possible time to join up at FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Check out the official sports partner of Locked On Podcast Network with an offer that you will absolutely not want to miss. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, to the player-by-player evaluations. And as I mentioned before, pretty much everybody played well. So the garbage time guys, I don't have a lot to say about, you know, Bruno played five minutes and Muhammad Gay played three minutes. Uh, a little bit rough for Muhammad Gay, I thought, uh, but obviously a little bit, probably some nerves there and the game was kind of over. Trent Forrest, five minutes. Kobe Welkin, three minutes. Not a lot to say there. Uh, AJ Griffin played 10 minutes. I thought he looked pretty good, actually. Six points, two, two from three, had an assist, had a steal. Um, people are like, and, 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 there's kind of a fine line here because you want AJ to play, 
but I, I don't mind it being that matchup base. I think there's not really a lot of danger of him just, him just never playing, but I do think that it would be better if he played more probably in an ideal world, but I, I always get it. Like he is their ninth guy right now. And that's, that's okay. Um, I think he'll play more than he did tonight regularly if I had to guess, but um, I thought he looked good when he was out there. He was, he was aggressive. That's all you want to see from him. Uh, to the guys who played more in this one. Bogey played 26 minutes, had 17 points and six assists, two steals. I thought he looked very, very good in this game. Four of seven from three, um, two or three from, from inside the arc. Um, played decent enough defensively. He was aggressive as a shooter. I've always said Bogey raises their ceiling. He's kind of their only guy that plays the way he does on this team as like a pure, you know, wing sniper. He's really aggressive when he's got it going. He's, you know, he's a good passer, good facilitator, obviously a great shooter. And uh, I thought he looked great in this game. Uh, Sadiq Bey was much, much better. I thought he struggled a lot on Friday. Uh, he was good. He was actually good in this game on both ends of the floor, 13 points, nine rebounds, three assists for Sadiq. That's the line five times. Um, passed him a couple shots in the first half, but I thought he looked pretty good. Plus 23 in 31 minutes. He played a starter workload because of, of the foul trouble that the Hawks had in this one with Jalen and even with DeAndre early on, but I thought he looked very good and uh, good to see him like, you know, obviously no sulking there. Like he didn't start in this game. Some guys would maybe get lost and he didn't. He played, he played great actually, I thought. And then Okongwu, 14 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and a steal for Onyeka. Had four fouls, as he kind of always seems to. But uh, 0-2 on threes, but 7-9 on twos. I thought he actually was a little bit a little bit shaky in the first stint or two that he played. But after that, he got settled in and played very well. Um, obviously, Okongwu always plays well against the Bucs, it feels like. Not that anybody stops Giannis. Giannis had a good game in this one, statistically. But I thought that Okongwu always did his job in this one and, and showed out very well, as, again, everybody did. Um, to the starters in this game. Uh, Hunter, I thought, you know, quietly 15 points, four steals. Now, that's not a small thing. Hunter has never been a habit creator defensively. He is, I think he does a lot of small things defensively that get underutilized or maybe underappreciated, but he's never been a blocks and steals guy. And four steals for him is, is actually a really good development. Um, 15 points on 10 shots. I think he's looked good the last couple of games. I know he was, he was not very good against Charlotte in the opener. And a, a lot of Hawks fans reacted to that, but I think last two games has been very good. Uh, that's good to see. Uh, Jalen Johnson, 14 points, seven rebounds, two steals and a block in his first career start. Uh, plus 14, two or three from three, six to ten from the floor. He was really good other than the fouls early in the third quarter. And uh, even then, I think at least one of those was kind of ticky-tack. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot more to add. He looked good. Uh, he's looked good the entire time. I think there's probably a tendency to be a little bit too excited, but I'm not even going to try to slow people down at this point. I think that people are rightly excited. He's a very young player with a sky-high ceiling. He's already playing well. Um, the half-court stuff's sometimes a little bit funny, but he's attacking mismatches. He's doing what, he's, doing what you want him to do, and uh, love to see it on all counts. Um, Clint Capella. Uh, I thought he was really good. I, I mentioned it earlier, but uh, Snyder credit's defense already with what they were able to do against Lillard, et cetera. He had a couple of bad moments in the first like three minutes, and then the rest of the way, I thought he was exceptionally good defensively. And offensively, he was just fine. 12 points, 12 rebounds in 23 minutes. Um, had a steal, had an assist. No turnovers is, is key for him. Uh, he, he blew the one bunny. But uh, after the after the bad hook shot, he I think he was 5 of 6 or 5 of 7 from the floor. So, like, had actually one really nice, like, knifing in finish around the rim. I think it gets overstated that he's this bad finisher. Like, he's not really a bad finisher. Uh, he's, he's a bad shooter, <laughs> for sure. And doesn't have great hands, all that stuff. But anyway... I thought Capella was good in this game. And I know people kind of decided he's bad. I don't really understand that. But uh, after the, what I even I said was really bad ending on Friday and a bad start tonight, he settled in, looked good. Uh, and then Trey and Ajante, neither of whom had like gaudy numbers offensively by their standards. I want to go to Murray now. Snyder said, and I quote, that he did a quote, terrific job. Talks about how picking up his pickup points higher on defense against Ajante, against uh, Lillard was, was, was really uh, important. He talks about how Murray was really focused. 
He also said that Murray and Trey have both been, quote, unbelievably coachable, which goes against the national narrative, let's just say, about Trey Young that gets out of control. I was actually uh, happy to hear that from Quinn because it's kind of been what I've been hearing behind the scenes too, that Trey is really bought, really bought in and actually being coachable. So hopefully people will spread the word on that a little bit. But you know, back to DeJounte, I thought DeJounte's defense was great, as I mentioned before. Plus 26, uh, best on the team. I think he earned that in this game. Like He was still 105 from three. He wasn't incredible offensively. 15 points, five assists. Uh, he wasn't bad. Um, I thought he was better. It certainly was more efficient tonight than he had been the first two games. But defensively, that's what you want from him. I, I've been saying this for a while. His defense is really, really important, both he and Hunter. But I think especially Murray, like they can't afford for him to be bad defensively. And he was bad at, at, for a lot of the time last year. And he was really engaged tonight. I thought Quinn rightly praised him for that. And uh, really good to see that at the point of attack. And I'm sure he was up for the matchup. You know, you're, you're facing Dem Lillard. Obviously, you're going to be competitive and had your juices flowing. But um, we'll see how he responds on Monday. But I thought I thought Murray was very good. And then Trey. So other than the unbelievably coaching part, uh, co- coachable part, um, Snyder also credited Trey for staying engaged, not getting a stir- discouraged after the slow start. He said his poise was quote unquote terrific. I agree with that. And again, I, I tweeted this tonight. People were kind of confused by it because of his poor shooting numbers. Because Trey was five of fourteen from, from the floor in this game, which is obviously not good. But he got to the line nine times, so he had twenty points on 18 shooting possessions. That's not good, but like Trey, I've always said this, I'll say it again now, Trey's not a guy that you can just gauge his efficiency based on his field goal percentage. That's the difference between Trey and a lot of guys. Number one, he takes a lot of threes. Number two, he gets to the line a lot. So that helps to boost your efficiency. So no one's saying he's going to be 5 of 14 on the floor all the time, because if he is, that wouldn't be good. But he was 33 from eight, three of eight from three, nine free throw attempts. But even beyond all of that, I thought he was in total command after his first stint or two. He was not good in the first quarter, I don't think, offensively. But after that, 11 assists, three turnovers, the Bucs had no answer for him whatsoever. He was breaking the paint. He was creating uh, rotations from the defense. Um, he found a shot a little bit later on, which is good to see. And, uh, you know, I talked about this a little bit on Friday. He, he is a slow starter as a shooter, historically. His, his worst numbers come in October. That, you know, we're almost to the November. I'm sure he's happy to see that. But all joking aside, I thought Trey was really good after the first quarter. And that's a not a, not a small thing. And look, they ha- they have to have Trey and DeJounte be better than they were in the first two games. That's a, that's a small bar to clear, but they had to be better than that. And they were. Uh, that's, not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the reason they, all, they won this game. There were many reasons. And again, I just named all eight guys. They all played well in this one. And I, I really actually believe that. There were, diff- there were different degrees, but no one played poorly. I can usually find someone that I'm like, ah, that guy was okay. Everyone was good in this game, I thought. And that's maybe what leads you to a 17-point win. It was really more like a 30-point win in a lot of ways on the road. Okay, that's it for this particular game. I do have a couple of things to touch on at the end of the podcast. First, this is a quick turnaround for the Hawks. The Hawks play on Monday at home against Minnesota. That's a pretty tough back-to-back with a pretty long flight in the middle of it. And the Wolves were off today. So a pretty, pretty tough um, scheduled spot, let's say. And I know people always roll their eyes. and it's early in the season. I get that. Guys are a little bit fresher in terms of their legs right now than they will be in a couple of weeks and months. But still, back-to-backs are back-to-backs. They're hard. In fact, right now, FanDuel has the Hawks as a small underdog on Monday, but about a point or a point and a half. Again, probably because Minnesota is you know a roughly similar team, in my opinion, to the Hawks, like projection-wise. I think in their regular season wins projections, they were maybe a little bit ahead of the Hawks, but somewhere, somewhere in, that, in that same range. But it's, just, it's an advantage to be off today when the other team is playing a game in Milwaukee and having to travel. So keep, in mind, keep an eye on that. We'll have coverage of that game afterwards, but kind of a quick flip game and a nice little test as I'll come back home after this really, you know, really high high on the road in Milwaukee. And then last thing, 
I got a few questions about this uh, uh, actually after the game on Friday. There was a show that popped up in the audio-only podcast feed. So if you're a YouTube watcher, you probably didn't see this. But if you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, etc., there was a postcast show in there. I'm told by the Lawtime Podcast Network, which is, of course, uh, who hosts this podcast, that's going to be happening after games this year. So I'm not the host of that show. I will not be really involved in that show, to my knowledge. But So it might be quite different than what you're used to with me. I'm not entirely sure, but it's in the family of the network with Locked On Sports Atlanta crew. And if you're an audio-only subscriber to Apple, again, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you're going to see that show at times. So I want to let everybody know that. Don't be uh, shocked or discouraged by that. Check it out if you'd like to. And also, it doesn't change the offering for me. I'm still going to be here, for, and I've already been here for almost 1,600 episodes of this podcast over seven-plus years. Keep it locked in. Obviously, please subscribe to the podcast. So no changes. I'm not being pushed out. Anything like that. I got, I, got, I got a panic question from a listener that was worried that I was going to be leaving. I'm not leaving. That show is a bonus, basically, in your podcast feed. Uh, not by me, but uh, still under the same network umbrella. So check out the show. Tell your friends. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Ratings and reviews, always appreciated. I also write about the Hawks at times. Patreon.com slash And You can follow me on Twitter as well, at btrollin, or follow the show on Twitter, slash x, at Locked on Hawks. Again, keep it locked here, everybody. We really appreciate all of the support. And uh, we'll have a new show in less than 24 hours as the Hawks return home on Monday evening against the Wolves. So stay tuned. We'll see you all next time.